Well, we've been going for the last uh, six or seven weeks. We've been talking about faith, and we're, we're, we're continuing on that this morning also. You know, there's so much in the Word of God about our faith. You know, and the Bible says, uh, and it's not up on here, but it says in 1 Corinthians cha- chapter 3, there's no other foundation can no man lay except that which is laid by Jesus Christ. God lays a foundation in our lives, in your life. The foundation is faith. Everything is built upon your faith in Him. And if you have no faith, God can't build. But God saves us and redeems us, and He imparts into our lives faith. We have been saying that, haven't we, for the last several weeks. We've been talking about the, the different ways of, of faith, that we possess our faith. But God imparts into your life faith because he wants to build and construct upon faith. Faith is what? Faith is you believing in him, in God, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is Savior, that he is Redeemer, that he is able to do more than we can ask or imagine. Your faith in him. It's not faith in yourself. It's not faith in me. It's not faith in the person next to you. It's faith in God. Having faith in Him that He is who He says He is, that He is able to do what He says He does, He can do. And so our faith in Him causes God to build and grow upon that which is in us. And so God, as we've been looking over the last several weeks, He he wants to stir our faith to activate it. Everyone that Jesus met, he came, he, he, he looked at them, and he tried to get them to respond in faith, to believe in him, to have a faith in him. And that's, that's what was his goal. His goal wasn't just to walk around and heal, but he walked around to heal so that they would look to him, believe in him, have faith, and that faith would remain with them throughout their journey until the day they were with him in heaven, in glory. So God has a place reserved for us in heaven. But as we journey through this life, we need that precious faith that is given to us by God. And he wants us to activate it and to stir it. Faith refers to things past, present, and future. We believe God. We have faith that Christ died for us on Calvary, don't we? We have faith that the stone was rolled away on the third day. Our faith is, is, is based on that, that Jesus came, died, was buried, was resurrected, right? And that he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. So we, and that not only, see, we have faith in what was done in the past. We have faith that God is alive, right? We have now faith. God is alive now working in us. And we have faith that God will see us through our journey to the day we get walk through heaven's gate. So faith encompasses past, present, and future in our lives. We look back and we see what was done. We believe. We look heavenward now. We see that we have a, an advocate, an intercessor in heaven with us now. We believe that. If we don't, we're, we're, just, we're just hopeless men and women walking on the face of this earth. But because we, we see what God has done, what he is doing, and that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We know as we walk down the road tomorrow, if God gives us the breath to live tomorrow, we will, he will walk with us. So our faith is past, 
present, and future. Our hope, we hope for the things that not are past. We hope for the things that are basically future, now and future. We hope for a good day. We hope for a, for a good job. We hope for that day that when we will walk with him in heaven in glory, right? And so hope is more like future. And love, the Bible says faith, hope, and love. And love needs to be with us forever, for all of eternity, from this day onward. We can't change what we did yesterday. Love may have been absent from our life yesterday, but today love can be present in our lives. Love is present. God's love is present. And God wants our love to flow out to the people around us. So our love can be active today and for all of eternity, for the rest of our lives. Love is not without hope. Hope is not without love and faith and hope and love both encompass faith. All three of those things are together, intertwined in our lives today. But the only thing that will remain when we get into heaven is what? Love. We won't need faith when we're face to face with Jesus in glory. We won't have anything else to hope for when we're in when we realize our hope, when we we go to that place that God has prepared for us and we know we're going to be there for all of eternity. Well, glory to God. We'll be rejoicing forevermore. But what will remain with us is love. We will be encompassed in love. We will be giving love. We will be receiving love. It will be God is love. Amen? And thank God he's a God of love. So we've been talking over the last weeks about possessing our faith. We talked... We looked at Hebrews chapter 11, the, the, the faith chapter. We talked about building our faith. We talked about the intimidators, the intimidators of our faith, the, the illuminator of our faith. We talked about activating our faith. We saw in the Word of God about Jesus addressing the woman who came with her daughter, and he said, Woman, you have mega faith, huge faith in, in believing. We also saw that, that active faith is deep reaching. We saw, we talked about how the nobleman in Herod's court even heard and received and got faith. So faith we saw is, is deep reaching. And, le- and we talked last week about faith worketh by, who remembers, love. Faith worketh by love. And this week we want to continue uh, faith, and I don't know if it's part seven or part eight, but I, I, I could change that, but I believe it's part Seven, eight. It should be eight, actually. And so today we want to see, we're looking at what the blind man saw. Can a blind man see? Can a blind man see? The answer is yes. Blind man can't see the physical, but a blind man can see spiritual. And all of us have spiritual eyes and have physical eyes. And we don't live by our physical eyes. Although we, by our physical eyes, we can walk and see the steps, see the streets, see the cars, see different things. And so physical eyes, we thank God that we're able to see. Amen? We thank God for the sight that we have. But we don't live according to what we see by our physical eye. The Bible says God wants us to live by faith, seeing that which is eternal, seeing that which is in the spiritual realm, which is everlasting and eternal. God is what? Spirit, the Bible says. And so can we see God 
We can see God if He manifests Himself as He did coming to be born and taking on flesh. Then we can, we were able to see, Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. Meaning you've seen the characteristics, you've seen the attributes of the Father. You didn't see what Father God actually looks like. When we get to heaven, we will see Him and spiritualize what He really is like. But our human eyes, our fleshly eyes, can't really comprehend the beauty of God. We just can't. These eyes just can't do that at this time. And so we want to see this here, this uh, what the blind man saw. And we're going to see faith, hope, and love in action in a blind man. Faith, again, is hearing and believing even when you can't see. The next in verse we want to look this morning at Luke chapter number 18, verses 35 to 43. And faith is hearing and believing even when you can't see with physical eyes. And it says, And it came to pass that as he was coming nigh, meaning Jesus, Jesus was traveling, and he, that as he was coming nigh unto Jericho, it says, A certain blind man by the wayside, sat by the wayside begging. Now here's a man who is blind, and some believe it was Bartimaeus, and uh, here was a man sitting by the wayside, and he was blind. And it says, and he was begging. That man was not in a good situation, was he? He was blind. Can you imagine what it's like not to have your eyesight? If you just closed your eyes and then just think, say if that was how it was going to be, how terrible would that be? It was not a good thing to be blind. And when he was blind, he was not able to work. And therefore, he had to sit by the wayside and beg for something for people to come and to give him whatever it may have taken. There was no Americans with Disabilities Act. There was no unemployment. There was no way that that man in those days could have uh, gone to get uh, some something, some way to get some food on his table. The only option left to him was to become a beggar. And we know that in America and in countries today, there are people, if you go, I know when I was a teenager going through New York City, people used to come begging. They used to come and wash your windshield and ask for a dollar or something. You see people throughout on the streets, homeless and whatever, and some people are begging and pleading for something so that they can, uh, you know, uh, have something in their, in their thing. And beggars in Jesus' day were, if you, if you look at the, uh, the customs of that, and you look into the history, a beggar was one notch above a dog. That's what a beggar, that was his status in life. If you were a beggar, you were one notch higher than a dog. That's not good, is it? But that's reality. That's the way it was in those days. This man was, was despised by people, was, was ignored and passed up by. Yes, one or two may have had compassion and put something there, but they were, they were like just ignored and, and, and just basically left on their own. And can you imagine that as he was begging, that you think he would ask someone, can anyone help me? He was blind and he was begging. Was all those days and all those years that he was there begging, did anyone walk by? Was there a doctor that walked by that says, uh, hey, let me help you. Let me take you to my clinic and work on your eyes. Let me examine you and see what I can do. No one was able to help this man with his blindness. No one was able to help him become something more than a beggar. 
God never wants us, never intended for us to be beggars. God intends us to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. And as his son and daughter, he wants us to be blessed abundantly spiritually, and God will provide for our every need, the Bible says. He will provide for your every need in your journey through life. It doesn't, need, doesn't mean you'll be rich materially every day of your life, but God will make your basic needs to be met every day of your life. And if you believe God, God will add abundance to your life. Believe God. Believe God and walk with Him. And so God was coming to this town called Jericho where this beggar lived, where people walked by Him on a daily basis and no one could help Him sitting on the streets of Bloomsburg, and everybody walking by, going about their daily business, and here's this man. No one could do him any good other than to throw him a crumb or, or a little thing here. How frustrating. How frustrating. How, 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 it, how it just zaps your heart and your spirit. Think about it. This man couldn't go play a computer game. Computer game. He couldn't turn on the news. He couldn't go watch a movie. He couldn't uh, go get something to eat at a restaurant. He couldn't do nothing but sit on the curb and beg and hope that someone would come and have mercy or compassion on him. And he sat there. And he says he sat there. And he sat there. And the next verse says that, And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. Although this man was, was down and out, you might say, it's easy for people when they become uh, in a situation or circumstance that it seems like everything has been taken from under them and what is life anymore? This man still had an ear to hear. He still had hope in his heart. He heard something go on that was unusual. It wasn't a normal day in this beggar's life. He heard a multitude pass by, and it wasn't just the band, you know, going by, oompa band or anything like that. Something was stirring in this crowd. And it was the news that Jesus was coming to Jericho. Jesus was going to pass through Jericho. And who was Jesus? Jesus was the one that they heard about that was, that was doing miracles, raising the dead, giving sight to the blind, and, and all the report went before him. And we heard that in, in story after story, we heard that the woman heard, the nobleman heard, they heard that Jesus was coming, Jesus was passing by. And so word of the, the word of the Lord goes, precedes him. And a, people hear, and, the, and this man heard, the multitude was buzzing. Hey man, Jesus is coming, you know. And, and so he heard this. Jesus is coming. And he must have heard the reports before about Jesus being away, but what was he going to do? He had no transportation. He couldn't pay someone to take him, to transport him to where Jesus was. So he just had to sit there and, and just sit there and sit there. But here, Jesus is walking now through his town, going to come to where this beggar man was. And so he heard this buzz. And he asked, uh, he said, what does this mean? What is going on here? What does this mean? His ears were open to hear. He had hope. Are our ears open to hear, listening for the word of God? To come near us, to come in us. Amen. And it says in the next verse, And they told him that 
Jesus of Nazareth passed by. Jesus of Nazareth passed by. That's a name that should excite every believer. Jesus of Nazareth. It excited the multitude that was buzzing by this beggar man. Jesus of Nazareth is coming. The miracle worker, this guy, this teacher who teaches with authority and power, who is doing signs and wonders that no man has ever done, is coming here to Jericho. It was a buzz. And this man, he heard it. He said, what is this? What's going on here? And he heard it. Faith began to stir up in this man's heart. What? Jesus is coming here? Oh, oh, I heard about him. Blind men can see. I, the lame, can walk. It started to stir something in him because no one in Jericho, no one was able to help him. There wasn't a hope in Jericho. But there was a hope coming to Jericho whose name was Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus of Nazareth, based upon what this man heard, it must have stirred an excitement in him. It stirred his hope. Hope that maybe, maybe I'll be able to see that this Jesus is able to make me see. And so his faith started to stir in him. Is faith stirring in you? Is there something in your life that looks impossible or difficult that no one else has been able to help? Or no one else has been able to... uh, Make better? Hmm? But only the Lord. Jesus coming into your life. Jesus in you can change your situation, can change your circumstance, can change whatever it is you need changed. Physical, mental, whatever, spiritual. Jesus is the life changer. He can do what no man can, can, he can do what no man can do. And he believed that Jesus had the power to change his life. And blind men, their ears are sensitive. It's, it's a known fact, it's said in the medical world, that when a person loses one of their senses, one of their eyesight, their ears become sensitive and they can hear better, more sharply than we can hear. And so what they hear, they process in their mind. And he has heard, as I said, he heard about Jesus, about he was a, a miracle worker and who he was. And he says in the next verse, here in verse number 38, and it says, and he cried. And he cried, Son of David, have mercy on me. This man had heard about Jesus, and he called him the Son of David, knowing that Jesus was more than an ordinary man. That this Jesus of Nazareth coming to Jericho was not just an ordinary man. He just wasn't some, uh, some prominent figure. He was something greater than anything this man had ever encountered before in his life. And he called him Son of David. He knew that they were waiting for the Messiah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the Son of David, he cried out. And the first thing he cried out to Jesus was, Jesus, have mercy, compassion on me. He's asking the Lord of glory, the Lord of all compassion, to have compassion on him, to have mercy on him. We all need mercy. Every one of us here cannot live without the mercy of God that, it, that it, over our lives. 
And he had a faith and a hope in Jesus. He acknowledged him as the son of David. You're no ordinary man. You're, you're the son, you're the, you're the Messiah, the son of God, the savior of the world. Have mercy on me. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. And when we ask the Lord, you are Lord, forgive me, have mercy on me. Quickly, the Lord cleanses us and washes us and has mercy on us. The Lord's mercy, the mercy of the Lord endures forever. This man, uh, isn't it good when someone hears your cry and responds to you? This man cried out for years and days, and no one was able to give comfort to this man's cry. Nobody, nobody was able to, to give him or show him anything that would, that would uh, be a blessing to him. This man wanted his eyes to be opened. He was blind, but yet his eyes were open to who was coming into his life. He was blind, but he wanted to see. He saw in the spiritual realm. And until we come to Jesus, we're blind men. We're blind women until we come to Jesus. The song, Amazing Grace, one of my favorite songs. I once was blind, but now I see. Now I see what? Trees? Birds? Now I see Jesus, my Savior and my Lord, the King of kings, my Redeemer. I see that He is who He says He is. I once was blind, walking in this world, not knowing which way to go, what was up, what was down, what was right, what was wrong. I thought I knew what was right. I'd do myself. We'll do, go the way that I pleased. But I saw one day that I was blind. But now I see that Jesus is the way and the truth, and the life. Well, this blind man, though he was blind in the natural, he saw inside in the spirit that Jesus of Nazareth coming to Jericho was the way, he was the truth, he was the life, he was the miracle worker that was coming into his life. And we know that in this world and in the spiritual realm, there's one who wants to keep men and women and children and grandmas and grandpas and everyone blind to the truth. Because when you're blind, you can't respond to the Lord of glory. And the Bible tells us, and it's not up here, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, that they may be saved. So the devil tries to continually keep men and women blinded. Yeah, they have eyes to see, but they're blinded inside as to who is the King of glory. Who is the redeemer of their, their souls? Who is the lover of their soul? And so the age of the, the king, the God of the age of this world is continually trying to put the blindfolders, keep them over the eyes of people so that they can't see Jesus. Because the minute you see Jesus for who he is, that's it. You're running to him. And you're giving yourself over and your life will be changed and transformed in the twinkling of an eye. And when Jesus gets a hold of your life, the enemy trembles because now you see him for who he is and he fears you. But when he keeps you blinded, you don't know what's going on. When the blinders are off and you see the king of glory, Jesus... 
as Savior and Lord, you turn around and you see this one who had the blinders over your eyes, who was leading you to the pit of hell, and you look at him and you say, Satan, get thee behind me in the name of Jesus. And, and you rebuke him and you take back from him everything that he's stolen from you. That's why the devil doesn't want you to see the, the King of glory, Jesus of Nazareth, in your life. And there's a saying that says, there's no one so blind as he who will not see. Jesus spoke to the scribes and Pharisees, and he told them, he says, you're the blind leading the blind. Because yet you have eyes, he said, though you have eyes, yet you cannot see. So what was Jesus saying to them? You got eyes, you look around, but you can't see the, the, the Savior, the Messiah, standing in your very midst, talking to you face to face, giving you the words of truth, the words of life, yet you are blind because you willingly choose to remain blind. And so there is none so blind as those who will refuse to see. And there are some that say, oh, I'll see when I believe. I want to see miracles before I believe. And when you get people like that and you give them a miracle, will they believe? The next thing they'll say, well, show us something even greater. And you're going to, it becomes a show. It becomes a show. They run from one show to the next. And unless the miracle that they see today is greater than the ones of yesterday, they quickly get tired and bored and they go somewhere else. Jesus does miracles so that he will turn them to, to see who he is and they will believe on him and have faith. Jesus is not, he, he is not a movie director. He's not there to produce a show to entertain. He's not there to put on a show to say, oh, ain't that so wonderful. He's putting on, he's doing miracles that people will look at him and say, you are God. You are my Savior and Lord. There is none other. And have faith in him. That is what Jesus did. That's why signs and wonders are work. And people follow a show. People want to go wherever they think signs and wonders are. And they oh, oh, wasn't that wonderful? Wasn't that amazing? But where is their faith being generated? Their eyes are being satisfied. They have an appetite inside for, for spectacular. And they have an appetite that wants to see a show. But when they walk away, has their faith been increased or enlarged in Jesus? Or are they saying, oh, that minister was so wonderful, that church is so great. What about Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith? And so Jesus, everything he did, and yes, signs and wonders are, are there to be done and to be manifest, but for the purpose of creating faith in individuals and to make that faith grow. That is the purpose of it, not to put on a show. And so... You, you look at the people of Israel. When God took them out of Egypt, he worked signs and wonders. And when they got into Egypt, what happened to them? They mumbled and grumbled and complained. And they said, oh, I wish we were back in Egypt. Although they saw, they saw miracles and signs and wonders. Did that help them at all? No. But if the ones that had faith, the ones that had faith, God took onward into the promised land. We walk by faith and not by sight. And it says in the next verse uh, here, verse number 39, And they which went before rebuked him. This man, this blind man, was crying out with faith and with hope to Jesus of Nazareth. What did he have? 
All he had was faith and hope in Jesus coming to Jericho, and he cried out to him. He couldn't see where he was, so he cried out to make sure that his voice would reach the air, the ear of Jesus. And he shouted. He didn't just say, Jesus, Jesus. He couldn't see. There was a crowd, and he knew Jesus must have been there somewhere, and this guy didn't want to miss the opportunity. And he didn't care who was around him. He raised his, he, he took a deep breath, and with everything that was in him, he shouted out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He cried out with everything that was in him. And he let it, he let it all hang out. He let it all come forth. He cried out. And do you think the people around him would have said, hey, that's a great man, you're crying out. There he is right there. Cry out louder, he'll come. They were saying, shut up. Keep quiet. You're a disgrace to Jericho. What are you making all that noise for? The beggar man didn't want to hear any of that stuff. He said, "This is that's, that's my hope. That's my, that, my faith is in him, not you. And he cried out. It says, all the louder he cried out. They were trying to get him to hush up. Ever, had anybody ever tell you, stuff? what do you make so much noise for in church? What do you shout so, so much for? And I'm not saying you have to shout in church all the time. But what I'm saying is when, when the Spirit of God stirs you and you feel like saying, Amen, brother, preach it. Go on and say it. You know, you don't worry about the people around you, you know. Whatever is in you, whatever is in you. I mean, you know what I'm saying? When God stirs you and you feel like, oh, glory, something like that. You know, shout it, shout it out. Don't be afraid. You're giving glory to God. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying we're, we need to be a church where we shout every, every moment of every time that we're here. But there's times to shout. There's times to be quiet. There's times to shout. There's times to, to raise our voice in song and to sing. And so they had people around him that rebuked him. Rebuking this guy. Said, what do you think? Who you are making all this noise? Shut up. Shut up. Jesus is here. You know who he is? You're an embarrassment. And this guy said, he didn't care what these people were saying. He, he was, he knew that his encounter with Jesus would change his life. And when you know that your encounter with Jesus will change your life, nothing is going to get in between you and Jesus. I knew when, when I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I knew that I had to get up, and confess to Jesus, Lord, and say, Jesus, come into my life. When I was in that Bible study, that young preacher said, does anyone here want to pray the sinner's prayer and give their hearts to Jesus? And I said, yes, I do. I stood up in front of other people. I didn't care about them. I knew who I was. I knew what I was doing. I knew what I needed. I needed Jesus to change my life. I needed Jesus to come in. Those people couldn't do anything for me. They weren't going to change my life. They weren't going to impart into me what I needed. But Jesus was able. And I didn't care. I'm not saying I didn't care about them. I, you, you care about people. You want me to say, you know what I'm saying? But you don't, you know. I don't care what they say or how they look or what they respond. I know that I need my life changed. And Jesus is the life changer. And so nothing is going to keep me from getting up and going to Jesus and saying, Lord, here I am. Forgive me my sins. Change my life. Come into my life. Be my Savior and my Redeemer. And when I did, Jesus changed my life. I've never been the same. Never looked back, not one time, going forward with the Lord Jesus. And so he didn't care about these people that were rebuking him, that he should hold his peace. Oh, my Lord, I pray no one holds you back from what God has for you.
in your life. Why do you got to go to church? Because I'm going to receive from God. I'm going to give glory to God. I'm going to praise Him. And I'm going to be in the presence of God where God imparts into my life. Don't let people hold you back from the blessings that are being in the presence of the Lord is. Can you be in the presence of the Lord by yourself? Absolutely, all the time. But the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Why? Because God works in and through the body of Christ to impart blessing and enrichment and, and growth into our lives. And so God wants us to be in that place where we can receive. And don't let anyone, anyone or anything hinder you or keep you or cut you off from that place of blessing in Christ. Here, these people try to get this man. Imagine if he listened to them. What if, this, what if this beggar man listened to the crowd and said, Oh, yeah, I better just keep quiet and not say anything. I don't want to offend these people. What would have happened to this poor beggar man? Do you think he would have got his sight? Do you think his life would have been changed? The next day, he would have been on the, on the wherever he sat. He would have been sitting there again with his cup or whatever, waiting for someone to help him. And it would have been the same old, same old. Nobody, everybody walking by, nobody able to change his life or help him in the way he needed help. And so he didn't, resist, he didn't listen to, to these people. He didn't want to hear what they had to say. He wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. You know, Paul, you know, Paul says that, uh, he said, a great door of effective service has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. God has a call upon each and every one of your lives. And, and when, as God calls you to walk with Him and serve Him, you will expect, you are to expect opposition to the work that God wants to do in your life. Men, family, everyone will try to oppose the call and the work that God has on your life. But you have to understand God has come into my life and changed me and transformed me. There's a door of opportunity open for me, and I'm going through it. I'm walking with Jesus. I'm putting myself into that place where I can get enriched with the Word of God, be taught, be whatever, receive all that God has for me. And, uh, you know, when you, when you get on fire for God and you start dancing, people will tell you to, you know, I've seen people dance in church and people saying, well, why don't you get out of here? You know, we don't dance in this church. Well, we dance in this church. But people would say, you know, we don't dance in this church. Why don't you just go to the one down the street? And some people will talk about their faith and people will say, oh, you're emotional and, and all this other kind of stuff, you know. But you can't let people change you or quench your fire or quench your hunger and thirst for more of the Lord, because people will always try. So don't let people do that. There, in the 1800s, there were Methodists who were called the shouting Methodists. This is true, because there, there was, they got emotional. There was a lot of emotion came in, and they became known as the shouting Methodists. Now, I don't know what they shouted about, but they became noted, noting, noted as the shouting Methodists. And then later, the Baptists caught fire, and the Baptists became shout, what they call shouting Baptists. And even in Virginia till today, I think there's some groups that are called shouting Baptists. And, uh, but there's a lot of Christians that are just shouting Christians when they get into the parking lot of the church. You know, they start shouting. But, uh, you know, <laughs> that's not the type of shouting that you want. It, it's the shouting, you know, because... Uh, 
you know, we shout to the Lord. The Bible tells us, as you read the Psalms, the Bible tells us to shout praises of the Lord. And, and so when we praise and worship God, feel, don't be inhibited, feel free. If, and not to say that, that by your shouting makes you spiritual, no, but if the Spirit of God in you moves you to raise your voice and shout, well then you be obedient and shout. You know, don't go by, and we shouldn't examine it or whatever, but you be obedient to the stirring of God in you. And so, you know, we want to be a church that is led by the Spirit of God, and that as the Spirit moves us, we want to respond accordingly. And in the next one here, Jesus uh, Jesus stood and commanded him, because Jesus heard, heard this man's cry. Now, there were a lot of voices crying out to Jesus. Remember, Jesus, he's Jesus of Nazareth now. And he's got a procession going. He's, he's walking in, and he's got people like all around him. Like, hey, hey, we're with, we're, we're with Jesus here. We're the disciples. We're, and, and, you know, there's a procession going down, and there's a buzz. There's the town is buzzing, because here comes Jesus of Nazareth. Remember, before he actually came, there were people buzzing. Hey, he's coming, he's coming. And so they were all getting prepared. You know, they putting on their best or whatever. And, and here comes Jesus now, and he's got a multitude around him. Jesus isn't sneaking through town, hoping nobody sees him. Jesus is walking through town, through Main Street. And he's, you know, he's coming through town with a procession here. And there's a multitude of people. But his ear, the ear of Jesus, catches the cry of this beggar man who's shouting when everyone else is telling him to shut up. He's shouting and Jesus hears this man. So what does Jesus hear? Does he hear his voice being louder than everyone else? Maybe. But Jesus hears this man's cry of faith. Jesus knows that in that man there is faith, and the cry of faith reaches the ear of Jesus. You can shout all you want, but if you're not shouting, if you don't have a cry of faith in you, it might just go right over. But when you shout, when you cry to the Lord in faith, believing with hope, it reaches the ear of Jesus. When it reaches the ear of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the King of Glory, when it reaches the one who's able to do more than we can ask or imagine, when it reaches the ear of the miracle-working God, what do you think he does? He turns around and he commanded. Jesus responds to faith by a command. And he commands this man to come to him, that he be brought to him. It wasn't, it wasn't a cry. It wasn't a word to say, go ask him if he wants to come to me. Jesus knew this was a cry of faith and hope, and he commanded his disciples to bring that man to him. He commanded them, bring him to me. He commanded them. If Jesus commands you to do something, do you do it? Do you think those uh, disciples, whoever, you think they hesitated? When Jesus commanded them, they knew he was serious, and they went and get this guy and brought him to him because Jesus knew this was a man who had faith and hope, and there had to be now a response by the King of Kings. When you cry to God in faith, there has to be God will respond. There will be a response. And they bring him unto him. And when he was come near, you draw near to God and God will draw nigh unto you. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to go to Calvary's cross. Jesus had a mission to accomplish. Jesus was going through a mission. He was, and, you know, sometimes we think that God is too busy to hear or to care about little old me. And Jesus was on a mission walking through town, and he halted the whole mission, the whole procession. He called it to a halt, 
to hear the cry of this beggar man who was considered one notch above a dog. And he stopped and he commanded, bring him to me. God, who is the ruler of the whole universe, everything that exists, exists because of him. And in him and through him all things are consist and exist. And he holds the universe. He keeps, uh, he keeps his eye on every creature, every bird, everything that lives. God knows and sees. But God takes time to those who call upon him in faith and in hope and in love. He halts everything. God is never too busy to hear your cry. And people that make you think that way, you rebuke them, not them, you rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus, because that thought is from the devil, that God is too busy to hear your little cry. God is not too busy to hear your little cry. And your little cry is not little to God. It's a big cry. It's an important cry. And God will respond to you. God will stop everything to respond to you. Don't ever think that you are not heard by God. He redeemed you. He laid down His life for you. He gave His body and blood for you. He lives to make intercession for you. Do you think He's not going to hear you? His ear is open to your cry, the Bible says. His ear is inclined. He's open to hear your cry. He wants to hear you. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. The Bible says, come boldly before the throne of grace in time of need and to find help and grace and mercy. Everything you need, everything, everything is there when you come because God takes time for you. Would the Bible say, come boldly before his throne? If he was too busy, make an appointment, he would say. But the Bible says, you just come. And God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the King of glory, will stop everything and hear your cry. And he will send forth a command to bring forth the answer to those things. And here he brings, he commands. There was no option here. He commanded this man who cried out in faith. And he called him and he asked him. He asked this man who was crying in faith. Now, does Jesus not know everything? Yes, he is. Alpha and Omega, first and left, beginning and the end. He knows all things. But God wants us to ask. In the Bible it says that God knows what you need before you ask, but he wants you to ask in faith, believing. It's like God saying, do you really believe in me? Do you really believe that you're going to have what you ask of me? And if we say, yes, Lord, because your old word says it, Jesus stood and uh, the next verse. And it's that saying, Jesus said, What wilt thou that I should do unto you? Jesus knew that this man was blind, right? And he asked this man, What is it that you want me to do for you? And Jesus' question to each and every one of us all the time is, What do you want me to do for you? The Bible clearly, without mistake, tells us, Whatever it is you ask in my name, I will do it unto you. It says, ask and believe, and you shall receive. The God Bible tells us to ask and believe, ask and believe, ask and believe, ask and believe. And he, he asked this man, what should I do unto you? Some people like their situation or circumstance or suffering, and they just want 
they love to, you know, to get somebody's ear and, and just go on and on and on. And he could have just told Jesus, oh, you know, life is so hard being one notch above a dog and, oh, you know, all this here. And, and he could have just poured out his, uh, all his troubles and all his heartaches and his whole life history of, you know, all the bad luck and all the people that came by and kicked him and spit on him or knocked him over, called him names or whatever. And uh, he could have done that. And he could have said, he could have said, he could have said, hey, Lord, can you give me the name of a good eye doctor? Did he ask him that? He could have said, Lord, just bless me, bless me, bless me. You know, did he ask Jesus that? No. Jesus asked him to be specific. Jesus asked him, what do you want of me? In a specific, expecting a specific response. Because Jesus was about to bless him. And God is about to bless you. And he's asking you, what do you want? Be specific and believe it, and you'll receive it. Be specific with God. What do you want of me? What are you believing me for, is Jesus' question to this man. What are you believing me for? I know you're blind. What are you believing me for? And he said, Lord. He acknowledges him as Savior and Lord, as God. He didn't know about the cross. But he knew that this Jesus of Nazareth who came to Jericho, who came to, to where he was, was a man sent from God, that he was a Messiah. He was a miracle worker that only God could work. And he called him Lord. He acknowledged him for who he is. And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. He was specific to the Lord of glory. Don't ever be afraid to ask God what you need. You know, people say, oh, Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me. Be specific. What do you want? When a patient's dying of cancer, they're not just saying, oh, Lord, bless me. They're saying, Lord, heal me. Lord, heal me of this cancer. They're specific. When there's something that is you believe in God for, be specific and don't ever be afraid to ask the Lord. This guy, this, this, this beggar man, he didn't get down and say, Lord, I thank thee on this warm afternoon that, that you are the wonderful Lord of glory and, and that you, and he didn't go on in some long theological prayer. He was brief and simple and to the point. Lord, I will that you restore my sight. A simple, direct prayer is all that you need. You don't need to get fancy with God. You don't need to throw out big theological words at God. All he wants to hear is a simple response. What do you need? What do you believe me for? What do you want? And here he says that I may receive my sight. And the next verse, it goes on to say here, And Jesus said to this beggar man, who people were telling to shut up, be quiet, Stay out of the way where nobody will take notice of you or see you. And who do you think you are? And Jesus commanded this man who he heard faith in, commanded he brought to him, asked him what he wanted, and he gave that man exactly what he wanted. Sight and then Jesus of Nazareth, miracle-working Savior and Lord, our Redeemer, our Savior, said unto him, Jesus wants to speak to your, into your life. And in God, that we have ears to hear what Jesus is saying. He spoke into his life, 
receive thy sight. What? What? Thy what? Thy what? Thy faith. Your faith. Your faith. Your faith. Your faith. He didn't say the faith of the multitude because they, they have faith for that beggar man. They were telling him to shut up and stay the way you are. And But Jesus, he cried out and Jesus says, thy faith, your faith. You're not ashamed of the, of me. You're not afraid of the people telling you to shut up and be quiet. You're not, you're not believing those that are telling you not to receive it. He's saying that you cried out to me with faith and I asked you, what is it that you want? And you received it? Now your faith, because when Jesus said, when Jesus said, receive thy sight, this man received it and believed inside. He believed in his spirit. He had faith. He had hope in Jesus. He knew that Jesus loved him. Because here's a man walking down in a glorious procession, stopping that and calling this man who was one notch lower above a dog, calling him into the very presence, showed that Jesus was a compassionate, loving, caring God who cared about this man that everybody else X'd off the map. But God commanded him to come into his very presence in the midst of all these self-righteous people around him, all these uh, big to-dos all around him. And he, Jesus commands everything to come to a halt, brings this man and says, what do you want me to do for you? And he tells him, your faith. And imagine the people around him. The beggar man has faith. That blind beggar man crying in the street had faith because he had an ear to hear what Jesus was doing and who he was. And in his spirit... He believed. He saw Jesus in his spirit. He couldn't see Jesus with his eyes, but he saw Jesus in his spirit, that he was the Lord of glory, the King of kings, my healer, my hope, my redeemer. And he called upon Jesus in his spirit. And Jesus said, thy faith has saved thee. He didn't only receive his sight, but his faith, it says, saved him. Jesus was about to go to Calvary. He wasn't there yet. He was going, but he said, your faith has saved you. The word saved, salvation, means wholeness, body, soul, and spirit. God doesn't do a partial work in our lives. When God comes into your life, he wants to save and restore all of you. He wants to heal all the brokenness in you. He wants to, to get your, above all things, he wants your faith to be solid and growing and active and he wants to work on the rest of you also. But the most important thing is not that you get a nose job. It's not that you get, uh, you know, a, 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 a weight loss program. It's not that you get all these other things. It's that you get faith and that faith increase in you. So God is concerned about our faith. That is the most precious, most important thing that God looks at in our lives is your faith. Your faith. We saw it in the man, the woman whose daughter. We saw it in the man who, for his son. We see it here with the blind man. We see it time after time after time in the Bible. Jesus' concern is for our faith. He came to impart faith, to grow your faith, to let you live by faith and walk by faith. And when you mix, when you have faith in Him, you're going to get love. Because love, faith in Him, because God is love. And when you have the faith in God, you're going to have faith and God's going to change you. And the love of God is going to overflow your life. And, and your life will never be the same. And so here in the next verse, it goes on to say, And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. 
This man knew. This Jesus changed my life. There's nothing back here for me. I'm following him. I'm walking with Jesus. I have decided. We used to sing that song. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. And it goes on and on. And that's what this blind man said. That's what I said. When Jesus changed my life, that night I asked him into my life. I've been following him ever since. There's nowhere else to go. I'm following him. The life changer, my, my, my redeemer, my Lord. This blind man, he followed Jesus because he had faith in him. He could have got a sight and said, oh, thank you. See you later. Let me go check out the town. Is that what he did? No. He said, oh, thank you, Jesus. He said, I'm following you because you have the words of truth and of life. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. And he followed him. And I bet this man was found in the, with the 120 in that upper room waiting to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Because this man walked with Jesus to Calvary. Because that's where Jesus was headed. And this man must have walked there and seen him, seen him, seen him beaten and scourged and everything and put upon that cross and, and, and left to die and on a third day be raised up. And I bet you this man was there believing on Jesus. And I bet he was in the upper room waiting to get filled with the Holy Ghost. And it says he was glory and, and, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. These wonderful people gave praise to God. But before he came to Jesus, they were telling him to shut up. Get out of the way. Don't let you're an embarrassment. And now they're giving praise to God. Oh, thank you, Lord, for healing the blind man. <laughs> yeah, right. Thank you, too. You know, praise the Lord. But Jesus is trying to let us see. Compassion. Look at life around you. Look and listen to the cries of the people of life around you. They have a need that only Jesus can fill. You cannot fill. You're not the answer to their cry. You may be able to help in some minute little way. We think we are a big help sometimes, but it's only a little minute thing. And it's good to be a help. It's good to help someone in need. But the real true help that they need is Jesus. And so in life around you, there's people crying. Don't tell them to shut up. Don't tell them to be quiet. Don't tell them to go away. Tell them to come to Jesus. Let me take you to the one who can change your life, who can impart into you what only God can do. And so Jesus took time and he was trying to teach his disciples, trying to teach the people. Life is about people. Life is about the hurting and the crying and those who have no one there to pick them up. And he's, the Bible says, you know, the sick don't need a doctor. I mean, uh, the sick need a doctor. Those who are not sick don't need a doctor, right? And Jesus said, we're all sick with sin and we need Jesus. But here he, was, he, he took the time to let, this, to let this man walk. The next verse, two things here that we see. Oh, go, go back to the, yeah. Question for us today is, do you see what the blind man saw? He saw that he had a need and that only Jesus could answer that need, could be the solution to that need. Whatever your need is, do you see Jesus as the solution? Do you see Jesus as the answer to your need today? That's the question. That was the question that this beggar man had to, to, to decide. Is Jesus the answer to my blindness? Yes, he is. He's my hope. And I have faith in him. Whatever your need is today, do you see Jesus as being the solution 
as to being the answer to your need today. Whatever it might be. Big, small. There is no small need in the eyes of God. A need is a need. To you, you we, we classify something big, small, in between. God says a need is a need. And when you bring that need to him, God will, if you believe that he is able, if you believe that he is willing, what do you need? What do you need me to do? What do you want me to do? And it says, and he saw, the second thing is he saw the opportunity as right then. He could have waited and says, well, maybe I'll just get Jesus tomorrow when he's not so busy. But he didn't know that Jesus would never return to Jericho. Jesus was on his way to Calvary. That blind man would have waited. Jesus would never have come back across his pathway. And so the opportunity is today. Now faith is. Whatever, and that's why at every service and every opportunity to come and be to agree in prayer and agree in faith over your needs, it is the day of opportunity. Don't let opportunity pass you by. Whenever you have a need, immediately bring it to the Lord and believe Him. Don't let opportunity pass you by. There's a term that says, uh, I don't know if I'm saying it right, carpe diem. It's a Latin which means seize the day. And today the Bible also tells us in Hebrews that harden not your hearts as they did in the past, you know, but today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to believe on the Lord. And it says in Romans, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So what we're saying is with faith, you seize the moment. Your faith seizes the moment. Whatever that moment of time brings in your life, whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, you seize it by faith and saying, Lord, I believe you. This is what I need specifically. And you believe the Lord for it and God will come.